Well, this morning we're going to be starting a new series, and I'm not sure exactly the length of time, but uh, it's it's a little different series, and it's called Disciple, and it's more of a it's more of the type of uh, sermon series that doesn't deal with particular uh, felt needs in person's life, but more along the lines of the vision that God has for the church and the body of Christ. As a pastor, I feel like you know I have to keep. Uh, giving you vision, giving you direction. That's my job. As a leader, I'm supposed to point. I'm supposed to say, hey, let's go this way. I'm supposed to bring us back to the, to the principles and precepts of the Word of God. Because after it's all done, after we've lived our life here, after we've lived our days here, and we die, we breathe our last, we're done. What we've done for the kingdom of God will be the only thing that lasts. That's Miss Gloria so eloquently said earlier. Amen. So let's launch out into it. And, uh, and we're going to begin this series called disciple, the domino effect, disciple, the domino effect. And we're going to look at a few things. Number one, we're going to look at the purpose of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God all about? Number two, God's strategy for accomplishing his purpose. And then number three, the role of each disciple in his God's kingdom or in his purpose. So let's begin by talking about the purpose of the kingdom of God. What is God's ultimate goal in this world that you and I are living in? Is God doing anything today? Or is he just taking a nap somewhere? Or is he just like, you know, just a figure, a figure of our imagination that he really don't exist, that he's really not involved in this world today? Is God working in this world today, saints of God? Well, if you're a believer, then you must believe that God is working in this world today. He's working in Lafayette. He's working in Acadiana, wouldn't you say? So what is God's ultimate goal in this world that you and I are living in? I think Jesus helps us answer that question in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. He tells some parables, and he illustrates the kingdom of God this way. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. How many of you have ever seen a mustard seed? You know, years ago, I was, I, uh, on Wednesday night, I taught through, uh, the book of Matthew. And when we came to this parable of the mustard seed, somebody, I think maybe it was Miss Roxy that brought me a mustard seed. And that little seed was so small that you couldn't see it in my fingers from where you are. That's how small it is. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which you can hardly see. But once it's planted, it becomes this massive tree that even birds can land in into. How about that? And so I believe the ultimate goal of God's kingdom, although seemingly so small and insignificant, is to grow into the largest and most influential of all the kingdoms that have ever existed in the world. It starts very small, but whenever it's ran its course of time, it will be the greatest kingdom that the world has ever known or ever seen. Amen. 
Jesus illustrated the kingdom purpose another way. In Matthew 13 and verse 33, he says, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast of a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, I'm, I don't bake, but I, I've seen yeast, and it just seems like whenever you throw it in the ingredients, you could do without it. You don't really need it. I mean, how could this little bit of yeast or leaven do anything to this loaf of bread that you're baking? But an amazing thing. You put that yeast in that loaf of bread that you're baking, and all of a sudden it grows. Yeast is a picture of the kingdom of God, just like the mustard seed. Although seemingly small and insignificant, changes the entire environment. How many of you know the kingdom of God will change the entire world that we live in? Do you believe that this morning? You see, we got, sometimes we got to just step back a little bit and look and not just look at our little world that we're in, but look at it from a, from a wide angle lens. And the kingdom of God, clearly the purpose of the kingdom of God is to influence the entire world that we're living in. Amen. The purpose of the kingdom of God is to permeate and to penetrate every person in every community and every nation under Heaven, everywhere, until the entire world has been influenced and impacted by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God. What's God's purpose? God's purpose, I believe, as we read the scripture, is to totally touch, totally influence and change the entire globe that you and I are living in. You say, well, that's a mighty large task for the Lord to undertake. Well, how many of you know that he has the ability to just do that? Amen. How is God planning on penetrating every community, every village in India, Nepal, in, in, uh, in, in Haiti, in Africa, and these little communities where there's just a handful of people and these, these states all over and these nations all over? How is God going to touch all of these places? Well, I believe Matthew 16 gives us God's message and method of influencing the entire world. God's strategy for influencing the world, I believe, is right there. Matthew 16, verse 13. Remember Jesus came on the scene. He was making some noise. He was making some ripples. People began to question, begin to wonder, who's this guy that is coming to our town? And so Jesus asked his disciples, hey, What's the word on the street? What is everybody saying about me? Who, who are they saying that I am? In verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist. You reincarnated John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. People think that you came back as one of these Old Testament prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, if you look closely at this passage of Scripture, Jesus reveals God's strategy and God's method for changing the world. First of all, he deals with God's message. It's the right message that changes the world. Not any message. It's the right message. How many of you know there's a lot of messages out there? But it's not any message that will change the world. It's a message that will change the world. Not five messages. Not five philosophies. One message will change the world, according to the Scripture. What is that message? Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, and I tell you, talking to Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, question. Is God going to change the world through a man named Peter? Or the revelation that Peter received When God, when Jesus asked him this penetrating question, what is it? Is it Peter? Does Peter have the ability to change the world? No, I don't believe. I believe it was the revelation that Peter received from the Father that changes the world. What is the revelation? What is that revelation? He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is there any significance to that revelation that he had? Well, yes, absolutely. Because he got revelation, while many were confused as to who Jesus was, Peter knew exactly who Jesus was. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Son of the living God. Amen? And I believe the message God uses to influence and change the entire world is the revelation that Jesus is the Son of the living God. He's the Savior, and He's the Redeemer of the world. That's the message. Jesus is the message. No other message can change the world. Jesus is the message that can change the world. See, Christ is not just a good man. Some people have reduced Jesus down to a good man. He's a good man. He was a compassionate man. Yes, he was. Some people reduced Jesus down to he was a prophet like some of the other prophets and he could foresee things and he could tell what was going on in people's lives like he was a fortune teller. My friends, Jesus wasn't a fortune teller. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the Redeemer. Amen. And that's the revelation that Peter had. He said, some think he's Elijah, some Jeremiah. Peter said, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the son of God. That's who you are. John 3, 16. John says, for God so loved the world. Who? The world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For listen, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. How? Through Him. Salvation to the world comes. How, saints of God? Through Him. Amen. How many of you believe that? 
See, the only message that can really change the entire world is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, died on the cross, shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And he raised from the dead and he has now the ability to grant people forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. That's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel message is the is what will change the world. Listen, you can't change the world by just meeting the physical needs of a society. See, sometimes they have people, well-meaning people, they're very compassionate people, and they say, well, let's go, let's go eradicate the homeless, and, and then we'll change our society. Or they say, well, let's, you know, listen, there's way too much hunger, let's just feed every person that's hungry, and we can take care of all that ails our society. You know what? Until you get down to the spiritual root of a society, you will never able You will never be able to change a society. Listen, Jesus encouraged us to feed the, to feed the hungry. He encourages us to clothe the naked. He encourages us to reach out to the physical needs, but not at the expense of holding back the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so listen, you know, I remember year, whenever I first got saved, which has been a few years ago now, I, there was a family that I wanted to help. It was a single parent family and there were four children and I was working in all field. I was single. I was making good money. I had extra money. I wanted to help this family out. And so I did my best to try to get them housing, to try to get them, you know, clothes and food and, and help with the bills. But it seemed like I, the more I tried to help them, the worse their situation got. And then I came to the revelation one day. I will never try, I will never help this family as long as I try to deal with the surface problems, the fruit of the problem. What I need to do is get down to the root of the problem. And what they need is revelation of Jesus Christ and bring salvation to that family. And I know that once that happens, their whole family will be changed. Come on. Are y'all with me out there? You see, so listen, our government may try to take care of all the needs of the nation. We will go broke trying to provide for all the needs of our nation. There's only one thing that will help our nation, and that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the only solution. It's the only answer. And so it's, it's the right message that truly has the power to change the world. How many of you would agree with that this morning? And so it's not only the right message, it's the right method that changes the world. The right method. In Matthew 16, after Jesus reveals the message that can change the world, Jesus reveals to us the method. In verse 18, Jesus said, And I tell you the truth, or I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, the message is that Jesus will build the church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, the message is Jesus, but I believe the method is the church. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades or death will not overpower it. The church is God's method and strategy for reaching the world. 
You see, we have to understand this. How is the Lord going to penetrate every community, every city, every state, every nation, and every country in all over the world? How will he do that? The church is God's method and strategy for reaching the world. He's got a plan. How many of you know that? He's got a plan. So why did Jesus, or what did Jesus mean when he said, I will build my church? Was he talking about a certain church affiliation or denomination? Is that what he was talking about? I'm going to build family life church, and that's how I'm going to reach the world. I'm going to build the Presbyterian church, and that's how I'm going to reach the world. I'm going to build the Catholic church, and that's how I'm going to reach the world. The Baptist church, the Methodist church, is it in the denomination that he's going to reach the world? And the answer is a thousand times, well, no. No church denomination can reach the world. So that's not what he's talking about. Certainly he wasn't talking about any particular church affiliation and denomination. If you look at the original word church, it means the assembly or the congregation of God's people. It doesn't mean a denomination or a building. It means the assembly of the people within the buildings. You know, years ago, here in town, First Baptist Church burned down. Y'all remember that? And I remember watching TV. I heard about it. I think it happened like a, you know, beginning of the week. But anyway, I got home in time. It seemed like I was at church that night. Got home in time just to see one of the local stations interviewing Pastor Perry Sanders, who's now going to be home with the Lord. But the, the, the news reporter said, Pastor Sanders, what are you going to do now that you have lost your church? And he said, oh, well, I really have not lost my church. The building has simply burned down, but the church is still intact. And I wanted to shout from my living room and said, yes, that's right. It's not the building, my friends, that's the church. It's the people that's the church. Amen? The church is not a building. It's the whole assembly of his people. So when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it, I'm going to build me an assembly, a gathering, a congregation of people, and hell won't be able to stop them from accomplishing my mission and my purpose throughout the globe. Amen? Boy, that's exciting. How many of you glad to be on that, on that mission? Amen. So listen. It's not church buildings. It's not certain denominational organizations that will change the world. But the influence of each individual disciple within the congregation. See, we have to get, we have to, we have to look closer at his strategy and his purpose. Because we can look at it and say, yeah, he's going to use church, but what does he really mean? See, God's method is, is, is to use true disciples. True disciples is God's strategy for changing the entire world. Let me ask you a question. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Did a building introduce you to Jesus Christ? It was people that talked to you, that influenced you, that encouraged you. And it's how we are here. See, listen, Can God change the entire world 
through individual disciples within the church? Can he use these hands and your hands and our feet and our mouth and our breath and our energy? Can he use us to change the world? And the answer is, yes, he can. Why? Because disciples are like dominoes. And as the church works, it has a domino effect. We have a short video to hopefully just kind of better illustrate what we're talking about this morning. The domino effect is a chain reaction that occurs when a small action causes a reaction nearby. The sum of these movements amounts to something much greater than the initial reaction. The energy created by the first domino travels through all of the other dominoes in order to accomplish the effect. Each domino relies upon the one before it to transfer the energy. Did you know that the seat in this church you are sitting in is there because there were people that came before you and they used their energy, their efforts, and their money in order to fuel a movement? Each individual understood that the sum of their actions together would create a chain reaction that would impact lives for eternity, that would restore broken families, that would save people from death and bring them to life, that would bring hope to the hopeless, and so much more. Think about it this way. Think about the people in your life that spent their energy in order to create a positive reaction in your life. Was it a parent, a friend, a pastor? The thing about the domino effect is this. It only takes one domino to start the effect, but it only takes one domino to stop it. That's a picture, isn't it? It only takes one domino to start the effect. It only takes one domino to stop the effect. How many of you here today would say somebody has affected my life? And it's the reason why I'm even interested in church. Every one of us could raise our hand and say that. It only takes one domino. Remember, Jesus started with just a handful. In Matthew chapter 4, says this in verse 18. One day Jesus was walking along the shore, the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, this was the first four disciples that Jesus recruited. The first dominoes, if you would. Peter, Andrew, two brothers, James and John. Later, he recruited recruited a few more disciples in Mark 3, 13. After Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, he came to him, he came to him, and then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Here are the names, Simon, who he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus, nicknamed them sons of thunder, 
Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So here you have it. These are the 12 original dominoes. The 12 original disciples. Jesus picked these 12, began to pour his life into them. Later on, Jesus, uh, he's, he's crucified, he's died, he resurrects. He's about to ascend into heaven to stay there until his appointed time to come back. And he instructs them and he commissions his first original dominoes and gives them instruction. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make, go and make of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus commissions his initial, his initial disciples to go now and reproduce themselves and make more disciples. I want you to watch the result of the methodology that God has set into motion in this world that you and I are living in. Do you remember Jesus told them to go into Jerusalem, to tarry in Jerusalem, to wait until they were endued with power from on high, which he said, it's important that I go. The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit in, in Acts 1.8 says, uh, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my testimonies. You shall be my my servants and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria into the utmost parts of the world. And so here they are after the day of Pentecost. The spirit has come. People think they drunk. They speaking in tongues. They speaking in other languages. And Peter stands up. The same Peter who denied the Lord previously, he stands up in front of all those who actually crucified him. And he says, these are not drunk as you suppose. Let me tell you what this is all about. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied would happen, that in the last days, the Lord would pour out his spirit. Here it is, my friends. And so he begins to preach to him in verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to them and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you've received forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at the next verse. This promises for you, to your children, and even to the Gentiles who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the, that day, about 3,000 in all. So they go from a handful to one day, 3,000. I would say that's multiplication. I would say that's good business right there, right? Now, since that time, 
Since the New Testament, the birth, this is the, the beginning of the church, the birth of the New Testament church as we know it. From that moment till now, they believe that there's been two billion people saved serving Jesus Christ. In, in nations like China, in places like Africa, people are getting saved million at a time. The leaven is leavening the whole lump. The whole world is getting influenced by the gospel. Amen? Now look at the final picture. When God's purpose is complete, John had this revelation. He was on the Isle of Patmos. God peeled back the curtain, let him see what was coming down the road. And as he saw a picture of heaven, and he saw the throne of God, this is what he saw in Revelation 7 and verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. How big was the crowd? Too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ. So you could see the effects of the kingdom of God that started with a handful with Jesus. He called these disciples. He instructed them to go make other disciples. Since that time, it's been having a ripple effect. It's been influencing this one and that one. And somewhere, if we could trace it all back, somewhere we could trace it all back to the original disciples who affected somebody that affected somebody that affected somebody that affected somebody that finally influenced and affected you and I. Wow. It only takes one domino, one disciple to start the effect. But it only takes one to stop it. Imagine what would have happened if the disciples said, you know what? This has been such a great ride being with Jesus. Hey, we got our ticket in our hand. Whenever he comes back, I mean, we were his original guys. We don't have a thing to worry about. Let's go fishing, have us a fish fry, sing kumbaya, and forget about the rest of the world. Imagine if they would have did that. Aren't you grateful that they took up the cause? They continue to use the methodology that Jesus left them with to permeate and penetrate the entire world. I am glad they didn't. Amen. What about you? Now listen, Jesus left his followers with one simple command. And this is what it was. The last words, the last instructions. He instructed them in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, every child of God in the church has a mandate on their life. First of all, to be a disciple. To be a disciple. Notice we hadn't used the word Christian at all. He didn't say go and make Christians. Do you know if you ask people, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Of course I am. Is that the right answer? It's almost like, it's just like I wear the t-shirt. I got the little fish on my bumper sticker. He didn't say go and make Christians. He said, go and make 
disciples. There's a difference. There's a difference because if everybody that claims to be a Christian were truly a Christian, well, my goodness, the bars would have to shut down in town. The adult clubs would have to shut down in town. Come on, are y'all, are y'all hearing me out there? Come on, there's a lot there. The, list the billions of dollars that's spinning, that's being spent on all this evil. There's no way that all these people that are claiming Christian are really Christian. We're not talking about Christian. We're talking about disciple. There's a difference. You know, you can stand up in a garage and call yourself a car. Are you a car because you're in a garage? No. You could stand up in church and call yourself a Christian. Are you a Christian because you stand up in church? No. No. I just want to help you know. Right? It takes more than that. What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is a student. A disciple is an apprentice. In the business world, whenever you want to become a lawyer, if you want to become a nurse, you want to become a surgeon, they put you next to another one. They let you walk alongside another surgeon and they let you learn how to be a surgeon by through apprenticeship. The last thing they want you to do is go try brain surgery till you know what you're doing. And all of us said, praise the Lord for that. But listen, basically, a disciple is not just someone that wears the T-shirt. It's not someone that, that claims Christianity. Well, what's, what's really real? Well, I believe that basically a disciple is a follower of Jesus. He follows Jesus into apprenticeship. It's, listen, listen. Christianity is not going to church. Don't let the devil deceive you to thinking that Christianity is going to church. It's not going to church. It's following Jesus. It's following the Master. It's being a mentor, an apprentice of the one that you want to be like. That's what Christianity is. That's what being a Christian is. It's not just a tagline. You know, people ask me whenever I was lost, are you a Christian? You know what I'll tell them? I'd give them the denomination I was associated with. Well, yeah, I'm. I was lost as a goose in high weeds. On a frosty morning. <laughs> but listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is, at, is near. See, being a disciple starts with repentance. To be a Christian, you can't go the same way you did before. You can't have the same lifestyle you did before. It, you just can't do it. Why? Because they got the world's mindset and they got the Christian mindset and they not the same. In fact, you remember when Jesus called his original disciples, they had to leave their nets. They had to leave their boats. 
They had to leave their daddy. They were working with their daddy. And their daddy stayed there and they went and they followed Jesus. Repentance means to turn, to change directions and head in the opposite way. Listen, with as much sincerity I can this morning, all of you that are in this room, Christianity is turning your life over to Jesus. It's turning away from a sinful lifestyle. It's committing your heart to Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change the world. Not people that wear concert t-shirts that say a Christian group. Are y'all tracking with me today? So first it starts with being a disciple. Repentance means to turn, to change directions and head in the opposite way. It involves a decision and action on our part. So you could be here in church, been coming for 10 years, 17 years, 19 years, 21 years, 30 years. You could have been in church going, going on 50 years and not be a Christian until you decide to make the Lord your mentor, your apprentice, and you're willing to turn from the way you're going and begin to follow Jesus Christ. Is that clear? Every child of God is called to first be a disciple. But then after being a disciple, we're instructed to make disciples. How is God going to change the world? Through disciples who make disciples. Amen? It it doesn't say... Pray a prayer with them. It doesn't say just pray this, the salvation prayer with them. Okay, pray this prayer. All right, you say that? Okay, great. Good luck, man. Hope you make it. Hope to see you in heaven, dude. Have a good life. No, it's coming alongside that person and say, this is what Christianity is. This is the way you live your life. It's discipling them into the ways of God. Amen? So after being a disciple, then we're instructed to make disciples. Matthew 4, 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Isn't that clear? God's message, the gospel, Jesus Christ is the redeemer and the savior of the world. Amen? Y'all agree with that? God's method. God's method of reaching the world is through discipleship. It's through disciples discipling others. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. You know, Miss Gloria came up and shared that story. Yesterday, they had a sparkle and shine retreat with some of the young ladies from uh, from Ildecon. And she just told us a story about the young girl who heard the gospel Responded. Wasn't that a great story? And the Lord, listen. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. That's awesome. But, you know, nobody told this little girl this. She's not religious. She's not over-spiritualizing things. She just said, I saw two roads. One, the devil was on and said, come on, come over here. And the other one, Jesus had open arms and said, come over here. 
And they asked her, well, why are you crying? What's the deal? Well, I said yes to Jesus and said no to the devil. And she's crying. She's crying. Why is she crying? Why do you think she's crying? Because she's experiencing the love of God. She's experiencing the touch of God. Because once you make a decision to surrender to Jesus, there's something about it. Listen, you know, we can't really articulate it. It's, it's too deep. It's too, it's too vast to be able to articulate. If you haven't made that step yet, you just got to trust us. Whenever you take that step, you're going to understand it. Because as soon as you become a Christian, the veil is removed off your eyes. And now you can see what you didn't see before. Amen? So why don't you just bow your, your heads with me right now for a moment. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. You've been in church for a while, but don't know for sure. You don't know for a fact that you're a Christian. The devil will be happy with you just hanging out in church with Christians and not becoming one yourself. If you're here today and you say, Todd, I need to repent. You're talking to me today. God is tugging on my heart today. I want to pray the prayer of repentance and ask the Lord to forgive my sins. If that's you, I want you to raise your hands and I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, if you would just bow your head in in just humility before God and just utter these words with your mouth, you can confess Jesus as Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent. I ask you to forgive me for my sinful ways. I don't want to live a sinful life. I want to live a godly life. Lord Jesus, I need your power. I need your help, Lord, to live the Christian life. Lord Jesus, wash my sins away. Cleanse my heart. I believe that you are the Savior and that you died for my sins and that you can cleanse my heart and grant me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me into your family this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Now listen. Congratulations. Congratulations. Now listen. Now just coming down here and praying this little prayer is not what it's about. It's the beginning. You're making a decision. You're responding to the gospel. That's the start. Okay? Pastor Nick and some of the altar workers are going to come. And we want to get your name. We're going to pray for you this week. If you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. But listen, it's a new lifestyle, right? It's a new lifestyle, which means you got to hang out with those that are going on the same path as you, which means sometimes you got to change the group that you hang out with. It means you got to change where some of the, some of your behavior, you got to do whatever it takes and you know, because God will show you what it takes to please God. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. We're going to keep going next week and we're going to talk more about what it is to be a disciple and, and what the scripture calls us to do. Let's, let me just pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Father in heaven.
thank you, Lord, that you are making, Lord, disciple makers in this church today. That, God, you are causing us, Lord, to just not stop, not not to be the domino that stops the effect of the kingdom of God. But, Lord, we're standing in our position doing what you're calling us to do so that we can influence and change our friends, our family, and the community that you have put us in. Lord, may your hand of blessing and provision be upon every family today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.